Thank you for joining me on this conversation with Kobe Wilson. Um, Kobe and I go back to high school. We played soccer together. We lived together in college. But I had Kobe on because his knowledge and his thoughts about film are very intriguing to me. So Kobe has a YouTube channel where he has short films that he's made and video essays that he's done on movies and trailers and all these different things. And I watch them and they're very intriguing to me. They're even more interesting than some of the movies that I've watched. But Kobe, I think, has incredible potential to make movies. I think that I'll see one of his movies one day. I don't know how big it'll get, but I think it'll be excellent. So, yeah, I just wanted to hear his thoughts about film and his thoughts about his future. But I really enjoyed this conversation with him. Kobe's a very generous guy. Just as a side note, he would um, always bake and cook stuff for us in college. He's a very good cook, too. So, anyways, I hope you enjoy this conversation because I really did. Cobol Wilson. How are you? Cole Ransdell. I'm doing well. I'm doing great today. I finished up another day of work. Good to relax, good to talk, good to catch up with old friends, and good to be here. You're in West Cliff, Colorado? Is that right? West Cliff, Colorado. Tiny little town right off uh, Highway 69 over in Colorado. Um, Moved here a couple months ago. Working for camp, uh, helping out, just doing a year-long program, and I'm loving it. I've uh, you know, studied technology in school, but just wanted to get away from it. But haven't haven't lost that passion. Haven't lost the things that I love. I've just kind of taken a taken some time to recharge out here and live in this tiny little town of four thousand people, basically. So Cobol Cobol's your real name, right? That's like your like document name. That's my real name from whatever Scottish or German ancestors I had <laughs> crossed the Atlantic, but, uh, I go by Kobe. Okay. Yeah. So was that like any, was that like a family relative or it's like, was it just your mom? Like, I just want to go Cobol. Like I want to go, I want to go official instead of just going with the short name. <laughs> I think my mom liked it. Um, I know Jacob was in consideration mm. at one point, but my mom mentioned the Kobols on her dad's side, that old family name. And, be a way to kind of honor him without having to name your kid Alan, who <laughs> no one names their kid anymore. And my granddad, he was a fan of that idea, so he liked Kobol yeah. over Alan. He said anything but my name. So it bumped Kobol up, up in the his, uh, the kid uh, name rating. Sisters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> up to from 199. It's hard to say hi. I'm Kobol Wilson. You know, yeah. it sounds like you're a Southern aristocrat. <laughs> but uh, Kobe, Kobe works fine. Yeah. Okay, so you studied technology what do you mean i know i mean i know you but you studied film film is kind of i mean was it film was that the actual name of the major sort of the my major was called visualization down at texas a&m university i knew that i wanted to do film but more than that i I knew i wanted to be at a&m so i just kind of reverse engineered a major from there found visualization and my freshman year i realized it's pretty heavily animation Mm. visualization has deep connections with Pixar DreamWorks, all these big animation companies and send some of the, the best and brightest out to those companies. And I didn't necessarily know that going in, but that, that was a challenge freshman year. I realized I wanted to stick around with it. And while it was focused on animation, it was more broadly technology. And along with technology, along with animation, I got to learn about film and the things that I wanted to do. And that major kind of allowed me the freedom to to pursue that. Whereas 
I think if I had gone to film school or taken a com com classes, I would have kind of learned by the book and been fed the same formula, but kind of going in a roundabout way, studying film uh, through animation. I was able to play with any camera I wanted through the software and learn about lighting, learn about character and movement and all these things that I wouldn't have thought that I, that would be so important. And I, and so many things that I don't think I would have gotten in a, in in any other degree. Mm. And then, uh, I was, it's funny you think, say film school because I was listening to uh, Matthew McConaughey and like that seems like a thing. I don't know if that's just for actors, but like I don't know if you know of directors, but is that like the common pathway to getting to where they are? Like how do they normally get to where they are? Is it like what you did? Is it visualization? Is it just learning by experience? What is it? It's, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, right off the bat, I'd say it's experience more than education, but – I talked about how freshman year realizing it was animation was a struggle. I very nearly transferred out of the program until one night at two in the morning, I just started looking at my favorite directors and seeing what their college majors were. And what I found was I think only Spielberg had actually studied hard film in school. Mm. I know that Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson were English majors at Texas. I knew uh, the Coen brothers. I can't remember which one. one, one was a philosophy major I can't remember what the other did, maybe business, but I looked up all these directors from all these different generations from Scorsese to now um, and looked at what they studied and found that it wasn't what they studied that made them successful. It was what they made. And that realization kind of made me realize it would be worth it to stick with visualization and to continue learning animation, even though it wasn't what I wanted to do necessarily, but it gave me experience in roundabout ways and more importantly, it'd be what I made that really propelled me to the status that I want to have one day as director, as director of a feature film. Um, and those guys have achieved Hollywood fame and fortune and success, which is great. I think I would be happy if I just made a movie in my life. Just 90 minutes, a story I wrote, a story I told. And I think I'd be happy with that. And I think following in their footsteps – Realizing that dream will rely on me making small stuff now, making what I can, and not just letting ideas go to waste, but making anything and everything until I make something great. And then whenever, like, I don't know if I've ever, if you've ever had the opportunity to see, like, the inception of, like, Spielberg Productions, like, have you ever seen any of their, like, first things and ever been, like, because I'm sure, I mean, you never get to see, at least for me, like whenever you think of like, you know, pro athletes, you're not seeing their like seven-year-old self just tr- like trash on the field. They're not good. But like, do you get to see the beginnings of these directors and the films that they make at all? Or like how available are those things? Right. I, I know what you're saying. Um, I haven't seen, you know, their home videos, yeah. their early short films and such, but I've gone as far back into their filmography as I can. And specifically the Coen brothers, blood simple is the name of their first feature. It was shot in Austin. It was shot on a micro budget. And that is one of the films that really inspires me um, because they tell such a good story. They know what they're trying to say. They do it in a unique way and they do everything well in that movie. And then they went on from there to make 
you know, Fargo, uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, to win Best Picture, even, with No Country for Old Men. But they make the movies that they want to make. They don't let the studios tell them. They don't, uh, you know, roll over. Even if it's not the greatest movie, it still shows their quality, shows their handiwork, and shows that they wanted to make it, and they made it the way that they wanted to. And Blood Simple, you know, it's, it's evident in that very first movie how they tell their stories that they want to. And so I've seen that. Um, I don't know what else they did to get there, but clearly they were working and working and working at, like you said about the athletes, spending that time that you don't see so that when they present that product that you do see, you think, wow, this person is truly special. Mm. Do you, do you see like a common thread of like the Cohen brother, like the, the people of the Cohen brothers through all of their films? Or did you ever notice like, differences maybe as they got more money they got bigger budgets they got better actors like did you ever see a difference or do you think that they held true to who they were they definitely held true to who they were they're very idiosyncratic directors they're very unique and quirky and that's pretty evident in just about everything they do Mm um you know comedy is kind of their forte especially dark comedy but even going to no country for old men where there's maybe one or two humorous lines in the movie. They still put their touch on it with, you know, the, the character design of Anton Chigurh, how he acts and moves. You can still tell it's a Coen brothers movie, even though it's completely different subject matter, completely shot differently. And, um, just all around a very different movie from say, Oh brother art thou. When do you think your fascination with like films started? Like when did you notice it wasn't just like you liked watching the movie and then ending it. It was more than that. I think it really had two major starting points. Um, or guys, one was a starting point. One was a refining point, mm-hmm. but it for sure started. I can point to fifth grade uh, with my friend, Scott, our friend, Scott running around in his backyard with a video camera, just having fun as kids and making, making videos, making movies. And in our heads, they look so cool and, <laughs> Watching him now, we were absolutely right. They are so cool. Um, <laughs> but just filming and shooting and being behind a camera, telling stories, playing characters, or having other people play characters, it was just joy and bliss uh, when we were when we were kids. And then getting older, uh, realizing more and more what movies can do. Um, the second point, kind of the refining point, would be freshman, sophomore year of high school, just somewhere around there when I realized a lot of the time that I spent with friends was watching movies and how the movies weren't actually the focus of that time. They were just kind of the vessel to bring us all together. Mm. And in order to watch a movie, I had to get rides from older kids. And along those rides, we talked about the movie, but eventually we had been hanging out so much. We had to talk about each other and Mm. life and made some of my best friends just that way. And that's when I really realized the power of movies, what they can do and what they can mean, how, Mm. you know, movies are entertainment, but how you can also find meaning in the stories of the characters, find a little bit of light, find something to make your day a little bit better, or find that in the circumstances around you watching the movie. If it's getting together with your friends, if it's just, you know, a hard day and you need something to take your mind off things, you know, movies are great for both of those situations and they can mean so much to people. I don't think they're the most meaningful thing. Like you shouldn't, find your purpose or find your life's meaning 
in them, but I think it's a great way to enjoy them and a great way to experience life. And I'd like to make movies. I'd like to make them to tell stories more than just to make entertainment. Mm. I said, you shouldn't find your life meaning in movies. There's more to life than a screen. And I don't think that that compromises wanting to make movies as a life goal, because as, as a goal, I think there's so much in that to, to touch people, to impact people, um, to do things for people is, is where the real meaning and the real vision behind my dream is. That's, uh, I thought that was cool. Whatever you're talking about the beginning with you and Scott, how he he's actually on the podcast. So people probably will know a general idea who Scott is, but that's funny. Yeah. It wasn't even, would it be right to say it wasn't even a movie that began you and Scott just shooting videos. It was just you and Scott wanting to shoot videos. I'd say that's right. And man, we're still shooting to this day. There are so many times when we would get together and write scripts and write stories and just film stuff as we got older and older. And even in the college, we've been shooting stuff. Mm. What kind of stories do you have in mind whenever you say that's kind of like your, not like your chief end, but kind of a, a primary driver of why you want to make movies? Yeah. A goal and a dream. I, I would love to just tell good character rich stories. One of the things about the Coen brothers is how unique their characters are. Um, one of the things about Wes Anderson is he has very interesting, unique characters, but those characters hide something deeper inside them and it's not so obvious. And that's what makes them good. Um, and I think also with the best characters aren't black and white, they're not just funny or they're not just sad. Mm. And so I think that the best characters, the most human characters find that balance, um, in movies like little miss sunshine, where it's set against a sad backdrop, but ultimately the characters are funny and they both laugh and they both cry. Uh, same with marriage story, which came out the other year, which is just a really tough movie to watch tough subject matter, but there's still humor in it. There's still laughter. There's still tears. And, you know, I want to make the kind of movies like that with good characters that are human, that tell good stories and that honestly tell stories about anything. I believe that you can tell a good story about anything. I think that's been proven time and time again throughout just all art. It's just how you tell it. Um, and so I want to tell good stories about good characters Uh, I don't know what those situations would be. I have some ideas uh, that I say I'm working on and need to actually sit down and write out. But I want to just make movies that ultimately you and your friends get together and watch and leave the movie with a little bit slightly different perspective Mm. or something to talk about on the way home, something to grow you and your friends closer. Um, I say that I also just I want to make a Western someday. Mm. I want to make it a long just slow burning Western and just have fun with it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, would you ever will it? Well, like, would you ever make characters based off of people that you knew? Like, would you ever, was that something that I don't know how prevalent that is within film, but is that something that you would ever maybe pursue as you like design a character and draw it up and develop it? I think it's, almost a necessity, at least mm. beginning, uh, beginning your career as a writer or a director or whatever, 
to use what you know. Because if you know someone well, you're going to be able to adapt them well to that character, I feel. I think it'd be a lot harder to, to make a good character out of thin air without at least including elements from someone or a couple different people that you know. Um, and on, on the other hand, I think with good movies, with good characters, you're going to see people that you know in those characters. Uh, like Days to Confuse is one of my favorite movies. There's hardly any story at all. It's purely character driven. Mm-hmm. And I think I love it so much because it brings me back to those high school days riding around with friends. And I see someone I know in each and every single one of those characters. And so I think when I'm telling my stories, I would have to include someone I know partly because the people that, you know, are way funnier and weirder (laughs) than anything that you can come up with and more unbelievable, but also because just it's easy to draw inspiration from life. It's harder, you know, to actually turn your ideas into action but it just kind of helps you along just to, to, to have a reference at least. I remember whenever I, you had recommended it whenever we were back at AM and you were like, you should watch Days and Confused. And I was looking forward to this like elaborate plot and elaborate story. And I was like, dude, it's just teenage guys getting stoned and like picking up girls. Like, is this it? And then you were like, yeah, I thought the same thing. And then I watched it again and it was like, you just had like a new take on it because you're like, I saw. Like you were like, I saw our friend, blah, 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 like in that guy. And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, I see that too. And it was, but it's funny you say that because it, yeah. it is fascinating to see, like to think about certain characters, like how it actually reminds you of people that you know, even though like the, you know there's no chance in the world the director had that person in mind. It's like still I can see similarities with, you know, Scott and Jeremy or like all these different people. It's pretty insane. Right. And I think that's what is so good about movies is because you know you can label it the human experience, that big artistic word, but ultimately you just find something that means something to you in a good movie. Like Days Confused means something to me because I see my friends in it mm-hmm. and seeing my friends in it brings back those good memories, brings back that nostalgic feeling. Yeah. You know, I, I find meaning in Snowpiercer even because that's the first movie I watched with some of my best friends in high school. Yeah. Uh, after losing my granddad, after going through a hard time, just getting to watch that, it, it means something. And while the movie itself, I can't remember the message, I can't remember the characters, I remember that was the vessel that you know led me to some just great people and some really enjoyable times. It's kind of, it is funny though, I was just, even as you say that, it's like, there are certain movies, I mean, it's similar to like smells, like there are certain smells that just trigger like a, that like memories and trigger it. But then you can watch movies, like you said, like Days and Confused or like mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of even other like sports movies or something. But it's like, do you think that's because I think about like a movie, like it keeps you gripped. Do you think almost the point of movies is to try to, in addition to telling a story, is to try to put the person being entertained into the movie in some fact? Do you think that that's a, a piece of film? A hundred percent. I, I always say movies are escapism and as long as a movie is helping you to escape, Mm. that's a good movie. As long as you're enjoying it, as long as you are stepping into a character's shoes or seeing something from someone else's perspective, or just forgetting about what was hard about your day for a little bit. 
I think a movie is worthwhile. Mm. Um, you know, just from Hollywood blockbusters and Marvel movies to art house. And just as long as a movie is doing its chief job of transporting you somewhere else for the two hours you're in that seat, I think it's successful. Uh, and you can pick it apart. You can look for plot holes or continuity errors, but at its core, I think a good movie is one that transports you somewhere else. And then on the other hand, when it doesn't, when it pull, when it puts you right back into that seat, it's, <laughs> it's not a good movie. It's not going to be a good time. I was very aware of where I was the entire time I was watching cats. Uh, Terrible movie. One of the best theater experiences I've ever had yeah. where an entire theater of strangers came together to make fun of that movie. But all <laughs> that to say, as long as a movie does its job, whatever the critics say, whatever the rating, and as long as you feel you've escaped, it, it's a success. You say like take you to another world. Do you ever personally like I'll watch a movie – I mean, this is kind of a dark example. I'm not trying to say that this is like what I still believe, but like you watch a movie like Joker and it's like this super isolated, cynical guy. And I, it, I, it was kind of crazy because you watch that and it like for a brief moment of time after the movie, I felt not like I was going to go become the Joker, right? I'm not going to say that because that sounds insane, but it's like, I was like, I had this cynical kind of like, isolating like it was almost attractive to me for a second and i don't know if you've ever experienced that but like have you ever experienced that feeling where it's been like you've seen maybe characters not even necessarily that are just dark but just in general where you've almost felt like a desire to be like a character in that movie i think if anyone isn't at least inspired a little bit by luke skywalker <laughs> indiana jones they're kidding themselves like mm. absolutely i think you when you escape and you're in that character's shoes for those two hours or following these people and you leave that movie, a part of you can be changed or your perspective can be altered. Uh, and that, that can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. If you left Joker thinking, yeah, I want to wreak havoc now. That's what this movie <laughs> taught me. It's, it's missing the point. Yeah. It's taking away a bad lesson. But you know, if you leave Joker, the way, the way I left Joker I had escaped into, you know, your queen Phoenix's world for two and a half hours. Mm. And when I came back when the movie rolled, I was like, I, it felt like I was coming up for air and that I was glad, I was glad that I hadn't actually experienced that, actually lived that or actually had to deal with that. Um, but it also made me feel for people that do suffer from mental health disorders and that do have things that they can't control. Um, that, wreak violence, wreak havoc, or can't take things seriously. And so it was a slight, it was a different perspective than one that I I'm used to. And it, it was a successful movie in that way. Um, but I think it was also, it, it held itself back enough so that it wasn't sending people out of the theater <laughs> to go light the parking lot on fire. Yeah. Um, it's, even as you speak, like it gives me, like it, it almost makes me more confident every time you speak that I'm I'm gonna see like a movie from you one day because of the language that you use. It's like it's rich and it's it like what you're saying almost feels like you're putting me in. Like you say, I left the Joker theater feeling like I'm coming up for air. Like that language 
I, I'm not going to say it's beautiful, but it's like it does pierce my mind. Like it is the language you use. I just want to tell you is pretty cool. I think that it does. I don't know if you get that from your writing, if you practice writing, if you read. Like, is is that a source of inspiration? Because you I mean you talk about Owen Wilson and I can't remember the other guy you mentioned, but they were English majors at UT. Do you think that writing and having like a creative writing mindset almost makes makes or breaks even a director? Do you think that that's almost a critical skill to have? It's it's got to be a critical skill. I I'd honestly say the the more critical skill is what Joel or Ethan Cohen studied is philosophy mm. um, and how people think. Uh, I also think psychology is a, is a very critical skill to understand people, why they act the way they do. But writing, you know, being able to think of, to take a situation that's common and to spin it in a way that no one's ever seen before has to come from that creative mindset, from the stories and from, I'd honestly say reading, uh, reading a lot of different stories by a lot of different authors from different time periods, different sexes, different races, different perspectives and cultures, and seeing all these different situations play out in different ways. And reading and writing, I think, helps you. The more, the more you read, the more you write, you know, the better you're going to speak, the better you're going to think, the better you're going to be able to convey stories. Uh, it's just practice. It's just reps, like like a sport, like anything else. I'd say. Um, I know on your YouTube, we like we'll go we'll get there in a little bit. But on your YouTube, um, you tracked like a lot of books that you had been reading and stuff like that. Is there a particular book that comes to mind where you see where you see maybe more inspiration than you had seen in other contexts? Like, is there? I don't know if it was like maybe a series or a certain author that almost gives you more inspiration than any other. I don't know if that's something that is something like remarkable Sorry, to you. No, you're good. Sorry to duck out on you for a second there. No, you're good. Uh, could you repeat that? Yeah. Um, so like you, I know in your YouTube, we'll get there in a little bit, but you, there was like, you had done like a series of books that you'd been reading. Is there like a particular author or a particular book that you think of that draws more inspiration out of you than any other? One of the, one of the books that really inspires me is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Uh, he might be my favorite author. Um, but that book inspires me because there's still so much more that's left for me to unpack in it. And I know that I'm going to get a lot more out of it when I'm 40, when I have kids of my own one day. And just the way that he told a story about a family, something as simple as a family uh, trying to build a farm and the way that he spread it across generations, across hundreds of pages and how he made you look forward to every single one really inspires me. And just the way that he tells that story, um, the story of the Trask family is beautiful. It's human it's happy, tragic, sad, funny. It's it's everything that you would want it to be. And it's everything that might be relatable, but also everything that's unique. Um, and that's a book that really inspires me with the kind of stories that I'd like to tell one day. Stories of those just good human characters. Um, and stories that people can relate to and enjoy. So, okay, let's go to YouTube. I want to see... We had talked about this before, but I want to see... 
So Kobe on his YouTube channel, Kobe has a YouTube channel called Moving Pictures by Kobe Wilson. Kobe has a lot of different content on here. It's like, um, if you don't have a, a, if you're not watching on video, we'll, I'll try to describe it to you as much as possible. But he has almost like breakdowns from, he did Midnight in Paris, that was a movie, right? And then he has a few short films. He has trailers. He has all these different descriptions. He had like 65,000 views on one of them. But as he goes through these different scenes, I it was honestly, I watch it and it's, it's enthralling. Like it really does. You're like, oh, I, I didn't know that that was what he was trying to do. Or maybe that, I don't know if Kobe is just on a different wavelength than even the director, but something's there. And I asked him, I was like, man, I want to see you like digest and dissect, not digest, dissect like a, a, a movie, like a movie film. I don't know, Kobe, which one do you think you'd want to, Half Nelson was pretty sick too. I liked Half Nelson, but are these. Half Nelson was a fun one to make. Half Nelson was a good one. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about a short film first. Okay. Um, I think my most recent is Long Way Home. Long way. Okay. Yeah, okay. That. Let's do it. Okay. Set the scene, Kobe. Can you pause it for a second, Zoe? Okay. So, Sam, Kobe, set home. the scene. <laughs> uh, first off, about this one. Um, when I was in my senior year of visualization, I had a professor tell me, just kind of reaffirm what I found my freshman year that it's your experience and what you make that really gets you to where you want to be. It's the work that you lay in, it, it, it lay down, it's the connections that you have. But also in the world that we live in, you can directly post anything you need to and, and be found that way. Just look at David Sandberg's career. He he started on YouTube and now he's directing Shazam. Mm. But I had a professor tell me it's it's about what you make. Um, and so this short, this was a scene that I just had bouncing around in my head for a while. I thought, you know, about this scene. And I knew that there's more story around it but I didn't have that. All I had was this scene and hearing my professor tell me that made me realize, don't just let this scene, this idea bounce around in your head for a while until it gets forgotten and goes to waste. If the rest of the story is not there, it's not there. But mm. even in a, sim- a single scene, you can tell a story, just go make that, just go shoot, just have it out there. And it's my creation. If I come up with the rest of the story so that's a 15 minute short. I can absolutely do that one day. But for now, this was the idea that I had the simple story that I wanted to tell. And I realized, let's just go make it. Mm. Um, and so this is what, this is what I made long way home. Okay. All right. I'm going to give a ASMR version of what's happening. So a car pulls up to a light, a red light. No one else is on the road. Light turns green. An interesting shot back to the woman in the driver's seat, back to the light. Again, it's just sitting back to the woman. She's panting. She's obviously upset. Back to the light. Light turns yellow. Red. My screen's lagging. She's crying. I'm lagging. I'm lagging. He's coming around the corner. I'm just kidding. Okay, so the movie finished. 
I couldn't see the end of it, but it was the premise. Kobe, so let's go through, um, not shot by shot, but almost like that. So the, the, the film starts, she's at the light, and there's an interesting shot. It's like a 45-degree angle from the back left of the car. Is there is there intention to this shot whenever you film it? The the root of the intention is show the scene, set the scene, mm-hmm. um, and if so, do it artistically. In an effort to just kind of get it out, yep. uh, we played around till I found a shot I liked that set the scene and, and wound up with this so that I could have the full traffic light um, so they could have the car in her frame so that I could show that she's at an intersection at a crossroads um, mm. and to show that she has the option to turn left, but you don't see that road. You don't see what's down that road. You just see that that option is there. I like it, man. Um, I like it already. You're already getting the creative juices flowing. I like it. Okay. So she's at the intersection. Thank you. Thank you. Next shot. Someone please, senor. That- so it turns green, no answer. And then there's this shot from the, you describe it. I'm not going to talk anymore. I want you to describe it. So she's at so the she's screen. sitting in the driver's seat. It's a, you know, it goes from that wide shot, the intersection just brings you right up close to the driver, who's a woman, um, just in this car. And this was kind of the original idea that I had, the original shot. I remember driving home one day in Austin, sitting at this empty light at like 11 o'clock at night, and it was red. I was like, why can't I go? Why can't I just, there's no other cars out, just let me turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I started thinking, how cool would it be to have a story about someone that has it in their power to you know, make this turn that they've always made um, or to leave this turn behind, to drive on straight and to, to leave it behind and uh, have this idea for a shot of you know, the traffic, uh, the uh, uh, turn signal blinking on their face um, as they try and contemplate, as they get kind of more worried um, deciding whether or not to go home um, or to wherever is awaiting that turn. Because obviously there's something at the end of that turn that's hard to deal with mm. uh, that they don't want to return to, but they don't feel like they can leave it behind. That's the dilemma right there. And that was kind of the original idea I had um, was this shot right here. of just someone sitting behind a wheel, going through a full cycle at a stoplight and breaking down as they have to make this decision whether to go left or go straight um kind of at the fork in the road and so just cutting to her inside the car cutting to my friend Paige, um seeing you know the green light bathe the car that was unrealistic more of an artistic choice but (laughs) my movie i can do what i want um just seeing her kind of go through those stages as the light also goes through the stages and she has to make this choice soon Mm -hmm. uh, that was the original inspiration idea that i had for it Okay, Zimmel, next shot. So obviously she's. So it's a pan back she's out. A little distraught, you know, cutting back out wide, just showing that the light goes through the full cycle, mm. uh, that she sat through the entire left turn and didn't move. Um, that's what I tried to capture. And thankfully I found a light in College Station that was uh, uh, no one was at. Yeah exactly how we wanted it. I think we shot this at like 1130 on a Wednesday night, <laughs> just when we knew there'd be no traffic down in the family portion of the city. Yeah. Okay. So is there any more to this video? Is that kind of the basic premise? It's like the, 
this woman has to go back and face something that she doesn't really want to face? Is that like the overarching theme or is there more? That's, that's the basic premise. Um, that's the basic premise. And the, the theme is kind of just dealing with trauma, mm. dealing with whatever's at the end. I didn't want to, you know, make anything too obvious or specific. And I didn't have anything particularly that I wanted to say that is specifically about going home to an abusive household or something, or mm. going home to, to poor finances. Um, it's just, there's something at the other end waiting for that. She doesn't want to deal with. And then with the ending shot there, we shot all the options. We shot her, my friend Paige turning left. We shot her driving straight. Um, and then I settled on just having her hesitate at the intersection for a minute, starting to go and then leaving where she turns up to interpretation. Um, mm. My sound design is not great. That's an area I, I can improve along with writing, but in the credits uh, took her turn signal and threw in the sound of it, you know, clicking off. And is that to say that she completed the turn left or is that to say she flicked it back up as she mm. went straight? Uh, just kind of left it ambiguous there at the end. There it and, is. Um, but more importantly than any of that, more important than having a message to that, that was me having an idea and not letting it drift away and get away from me. Um, an idea that I thought was worth shooting, that I thought was worth uh, more, more than shooting, publishing and letting people see and telling that story. Um, but ultimately, it was an idea that I didn't want to want to leave behind um, because I was scared of not having surrounding story or, or who this character was. I just wanted to shoot that scene. And that's what we did. So you say sound design, like, so in a scene like that, I can't think of like a particular movie that would have a similar situation. I don't know if you do in your mind, but like, what would be, say you do this, this scene again, is the sound staying the same? Is it just, is it just the turn signal? Is it, are you adding, rain are you adding a song in the radio is there anything you would change about the sound design with that looking back i haven't thought about that before um because honestly sound design is my least favorite part mm. of making shorts but if i had to go back i would still keep it uh where i kept her muted um so that it felt like you're in the car but also you're separated like are you on one side of the windshield or the other it looks like you're in the car, but you can't hear her. You don't know what she's going through. Um, so I would keep that. I think I would keep my turn signal. Uh, I like your idea of a song on the radio. Um, just something to kind of contrast the mood would, uh, would be interesting mm. to see how that worked. If she's crying, but you know, there's something upbeat on the radio on late night radio, or, or maybe it's a late night talk show and the DJ is interjecting and it looks like she's alone, but does she find comfort in that? Does it feel like someone's there with her and give her a little more reason to go back to whatever's hard, whatever's waiting for her? Because, you know, that, that interlude from the DJ reminds her, there's still people out there and people worth caring for. Maybe she just hasn't found it yet, but one day it's going to come. Mm. So I don't know how I would change it, um, but I like those ideas and I would, I would always try them out at least. Okay. That's another thing about movies that, at least for me, I think I notice m the music more than I notice like the shots. Like, so like if you, you have that girl, it's the shot in front of her 
I don't think I would notice that change, but I would notice, and I'm going to flip it to like Lord of the Rings or something, like the music that's played, because I know you enjoy Lord of the Rings. I'm curious to hear your opinion, but like the music, it, it, it almost feels like you're in the army. With, like I'm thinking of, I think it's whenever, I'm going to butcher, like if I start trying to say the names of the sides, but like you have the, you know, the good guys, right? They're going to war against the orcs is all I know. And the like the drums and the yeah. and the like heart like the orchestra, all these different things make a scene so filling. Like is that does that excite you or is it just kind of the like the ambient sound design that bores you? It I think what it is that makes me hesitate when it comes to sound design is being you know, kind of perfectionist minded. And so when I hear the room tone or the crackle, because I don't have cinema microphones, Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, I have to cover this up, clean this up. When in reality, you you can get something good with, with a $500 mic or a $50 mic. Um, it's just how you use it, how you set it up, how you take care of it. Um, and what you don't mind letting slip through. Um, Music is interesting because, I mean, I'm, I, I can't score. I've never at least tried. <laughs> um, but in some ways, it elevates the scene. In some ways, it detracts. I, I can't remember what I was watching the other day. Um, I think it was an interview with a director. I can't remember what movie it was, but um, they were talking about laying down this temporary track to set the mood for a scene. And this producer was watching the scene and said, do you not have enough confidence in your actor's performance to just let them speak because they have this music to try and bolster uh, the actors and bolster what was going on in the scene. But this producer said, cut the sa- cut the song, just let them speak because that carries enough weight on its own. Mm. If not more without, you know, soundtrack backing it up. Um, and so in that way, I think like silence is better. Stillness is better. Letting the actors act and speak. Um, but music also is important, is a necessity to elevate some scenes like the, the scene you're talking about. I watched uh, Return of the King a couple nights ago. And when it came to the bat- Battle of Pelennor Fields and that song started playing, I got so excited. And once again, <laughs> just seeing the Riders of Rohan line up, seeing uh, King Theoden just whack his sword against their spears and to hear that song. Um, already the shot is epic and awesome to see just an entire cavalry Mm -hmm. running down a a hill. But without that music, it wouldn't be special. I feel because you tie that music so closely to that scene, to those characters and good scoring relates different um, songs to different characters and different songs to different places. And so when you hear the Shire, in the fellowship of the ring as they're in the shire, you're like, Oh, it's the shire. It's a happy place. Mm -hmm. But when you hear that song reprise as Frodo and Sam are climbing Mount doom, um, they're not in the shire. They're in darkness and destruction and death. But you can, by hearing that you see then those characters eyes is a little bit of hope, a little bit of a thought that they might get to see their friends again, that they might do what they set out to do. And, that's all through the music to elevate that scene. Mm. Okay, let's walk through another one. I like, I love that. That was, 
I'd like getting to hear your thought process. So you had, so you made, I know you made another, you made like Thank a you. few different short films, but okay. So first one from home, the documentary, I like that one. It was personal, very real. What's another one you want to go through? Um, just the, the channel as a whole real quick. Okay. I love to Let's talk do it. about Let's, I want to hear it. Um, cause I've got, I've got a good body of content at this point. I think there's 20, 30 videos up maybe. And I feel like I've stayed pretty true to my goal with this channel, um, which is to not be bound to just being a video essay channel, but to (laughs) kind of make what I wanted to make to put it out there. And so if that's a short film that gets 40 views, it's still mine. It's out there and I want it to be to, to be public. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's a video essay that gets, you know, 29,000 views, they're both still things that I wanted to make. They're both stories that I wanted to tell or talk about. And I didn't stop and I didn't, um, you know, keep one hidden because I was afraid it wouldn't match with the rest of the channel. Mm. Um, I admire that. I think that's really so cool. Of you. I think I've stuck to that goal. Thank you. I feel there's a few videos on there that I maybe wouldn't have actually posted going back um, <laughs> that I would have just kept personal or as practice. Um, Why do you say that? I stick by, you know, the, the body of work that I published uh, because in everything that you do and in everything that you make, as you get older, you'll realize, you know, maybe this ad actually wasn't truly my voice or what I was honestly trying to say mm. at the time. Um, just having more time to think about it. Um, I, I don't know what I would change specifically, but I feel that some stuff would be a little bit different, but for the most part, I've made what I've wanted to make. I've improved in some ways. I have a lot of room to grow. Um, and I'm excited for you know, the ideas I have in my head right now, the ideas I have in my, my Google drive right now, and mm-hmm. just turning those ideas into action. Okay. Before we move to another one, let's think, I want to hear, uh, where do you think you have seen the most growth and maybe even, I know sound design may be, like you said, a, a, a point of where like you may need to grow, but where do you think you've seen the most growth with your production, your filmmaking from the beginning of the channel to now? I think, um, I think production wise, definitely my editing, um, just tightening things up a bit, letting things run when they need to run and uh, just making things coherent, telling stories. Um and, and just how to use the software in general, how to actually edit technically. Um, but I think I've grown more just as a person outside of that in initiative, in actually taking action on things. Because I think my first year, the first year the channel was active, I put out one video, which was the one idea I had, um, or at least acted on. And then the next year I put out three or four uh, but then the year after that, I put out five and they were still things that I um, wanted to make, wanted to tell. And they weren't just to put out content. They weren't about quantity. I feel that I've put out quality pieces and I've done so uh, by using the time that I previously pre- previously spent just wasting. Mm. Um, so I feel like I've been learning more and more about using that time and taking action and actually making the ideas real. 
that is still an ongoing process. That is still something to learn uh, constantly and to grow in constantly. Um, like I've had a tab for a, for a script open for months that I have, I've hardly touched, mm. but I know that, you know, it's still in the back of my mind to sit down and work on it. I'm not going to let it pass it by. And I know, you know, it will get made. Um, take a, the visual romance of midnight in Paris. That was my first real video analysis and essay. Um, that idea was four years from inception to completion. Wow. I had that idea, you know, my freshman year or my junior year of high school where I kind of noticed how this camera was moving in that movie. And it took me till junior year of college to one, sit down and write it out. Um, two, to be willing to refine and edit what I'd written to truly find what I wanted to say. And three, to actually take the time to cut through it, to look through it, to research the argument somewhat by making sure it actually aligned with what happened in the movie. And I hadn't gotten lost along the way. Um, and then to finally publish it, it took four years. Um, compare that to, uh, I made a video on half Nelson, yeah, uh, which is a Ryan Gosling movie. I, I had that idea, I think in high school as well, but I didn't touch it for a while. And then in the course of five or six months, I remember my original idea and then I brought it all the way from beginning to completion pretty much and sped that process up, actually took action, stopped putting off revising and editing, but did it um, because I knew I had to. Okay. So are you good? You good to do uh, to do a little bit of the Midnight in Paris? You want to do that one at all? For sure. Okay. So then let's do it. Okay. I'm going to let you, you walk us through. I mean, because the whole video is, I think, like eight minutes or something, but just pieces of it that you want to explain. Take the lead. Do your thing. All right. Samuel Zimmel is our producer, by the way. I want people to know that. He's a great guy. Very nice guy. Does the job incredibly well. Former roommate, current producer. Former roommate. Um, I mean, this movie, I love this movie. Uh, It'd be tough to watch again just because I've watched it so many times working through this. So one of the things I learned from making this essay is, you know, watch the movie, have your idea, watch again, maybe to back up, but also kind of let it sit to still be something that you enjoy, to still be something that you escape into. Um, Because waiting so many years in between different steps, meant I had to rewatch again and again, and I kind of got lost in the joy of this movie and feel like, you know, it'll, it'll take a couple of years before I can watch it again and really enjoy it and escape into it. But, um, fantastic movie. I honestly love it and loved making this essay about it. Can you give a background on the movie just so people have a sense of what they're going to be listening to? Absolutely. So Midnight in Paris, um, follows Owen Wilson in a relatively serious role um, still comedy, but you know, it's, it's him being more serious than Shanghai noon. Um, but he's an American writer. He's a, a screenwriting hack as he thinks of himself. He's in Paris with his fiance, uh, and her family. They're kind of just being wealthy people in Paris being, uh, kind of that Hemingway style lost generation, just living in eating at cafes and not worrying about how much money's in the bank, but 
you know, he's in modern day Paris, 2013 or whatever. Um, and he finds himself just on these midnight walks, uh, transported back in time into different eras of Paris, an era that he romanticizes the roaring twenties. Um, you know, the time of Hemingway, the time of F Scott Fitzgerald, the time of all of, uh, the, the main characters, Gill, the time of all of Gill's literary and artistic heroes. Um, and along with that, he finds himself questioning love and seeking out, you know, true love and seeking out uh, where he truly wants to spend his time. Okay, so we open with Owen Wilson walking down the street. Zone. Can you do like a, a scrub of it? And then, Kobe, you just let him know when to stop. For sure. I love that shot. Um, I always knew I wanted that to be the opening shot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can pause right there on the women. Um, so there's three women in this character or in this movie. Uh, there's Inez, Adriana and Gabrielle. And these are kind of the three women that Gil interacts with the most, uh, from different eras or doing different things. And so why I highlight them is because as I watched this movie and saw Gil go through these kind of three romantic arcs, I noticed that each woman has her own visual language. Um, the camera moves differently for Adriana than it does for Inez. Mm. It moves differently for Gabrielle than it does for the others. Um, and the way that each one is shot is different. And the love story is yes, told through the acting, the performances, but it's also told, uh, by the camera, by the way that the shots are framed, by the way that they look, um, and so each one has that different style. And that's what I really noticed when I was watching this and wanted to point out. Um, but you can head on to, let's head to the hotel scene with Inez, I think is coming up there. Yeah. And so Inez's visual language really consists of them sharing scenes, but it consists of uh, a blocking is key to how her language is used. And so Gil and Inez begin by sharing scenes together, by being close to each other. The characters are blocked to share the scene together, but as their relationship kind of deteriorates, the blocking is different so that they wind up not sharing the frame. Um, so that Gil is a separate shot from Inez. Whereas before in the early stages of the movie, they spend just about every shot sharing the scene close to each other. Whereas in the, in the latter half of the movie, they're blocked differently. They're, they're separated. Um, and that's what I really picked up on her. And you can kind of scrub through her portions. Um, I remember talking about Inez, you know, as, as different things come into her life, um, you know, the, there's this guy, Paul, that she begins to see. Uh, there's her parents that are putting some pressure on her. And those things kind of separate Gil and Inez. But let's go to that last scene in the Inez clip. Um I think what I highlighted here was that their language has changed so much. And then this final scene is their emotions are playing um, as they're wondering, are, are we meant to be together? The camera mimics their emotions where on one hand they're separated by the shot and the next they're sharing the frame before finally deciding before Gil finally decides this isn't right. And he leaves the, the frame altogether. He leaves and as his life, he leaves the scene. Mm. Um, I remember that's what I kind of really picked up on the first time I watched this movie. Um, 
And if you just want to, you know, keep scrubbing through, um, you guys remember Adriana really just showed, uh, particularly in the introduction scene to her, Gil isn't showing the frame at all. And then slowly the camera moves behind his head and puts a little bit more of him in each shot of her as they begin to share time together and spend time together. But there's always, uh, the visual language of Adriana is there's always something in the frame distracting or dividing. Um, whereas Inez was more blocking, um, Adriana actually has things in the scene that distract. Uh, to, to show how Gil is also distracted um, by her, but also by eventually Gabrielle. And so Gil and Adriana, you know, it starts off strong, but a little later on, we see that, you know, they're interrupted by a carriage. They're interrupted by a massive carousel in the background. They're interrupted by Zelda Fitzgerald. Um, and all these different things come into frame uh, and the camera includes different things in their shots together that kind of show the distraction in this relationship, how neither is really completely focused or in love with each other as much as it appeared at first. Mm. And then when you say blocked, what is that? What like, whenever you mention blocked in the film, what does that mean? Blocking just the way that characters move, um, and the points they are supposed to hit, mm. you know, they, uh, like I can be blocked, you know, to the, uh, to the left of frame block to the, to the right of frame, just where you see the character standing in the frame mm. is kind of their blocking. Okay. And then later on, you know, we move through Adriana, we move on to Gabrielle, who's, you know, the, the, the true love and just kind of see that, um, that same thing that happened with Adriana where, Gil and Gabrielle begin to share the frame, uh, but aren't truly aware of it. Um, but where this relationship really stands out and really shows this difference is in the final scene uh, on the bridge where they realize they're in love. The camera moves in between them to show these close-up shots. Um, I think it's back one shot from this, but the way that it works is, you know, Gabrielle obviously notices Gil from the first time he visits her shot, uh, her shop. The shot lingers on her for a second. She looks back after him as he goes off with Inez. But uh, Gil, you know, kind of, kind of noticed her, kind of didn't, until they run into each other on this bridge. And we see Gil from Gabrielle's perspective, just in close up. You know, gorgeous lighting, gorgeous shot, and then Gil kind of sees her as part of the environment, as part of Paris. Um, but as they talk, he begins to realize his feelings for her and the camera moves from that over the shoulder kind of broad shot to match the way that Gabrielle sees Gil, which is love. Um, and so it moves into this close up. and if you want to hit play, I think it'll roll into it. Okay. Right. Set the scene, Kobe, use your uh, beautiful that, language that the camera moves to tell them where they are right now. Uh, <laughs> Gil has broken up with uh, Adriana and Inez. Um, he runs into Gabrielle on this bridge. She's the nostalgia shop owner that he previously met. And we see them sharing the frame together, obviously, um, from her perspective, you know, her focus is solely on him. 
from his perspective, you know, he's still thinking about it, still feeling things out, still soaking in Paris and the bridge and the sights. Um, and as they talk, as they laugh, as they joke, as they fall in love, both shots begin to match each other. Mm. And so oh, everything man. else is tuned out, but her. So the camera moves from over Gail's shoulder to in between them as it passes back and forth mm. as the dialogue continues before they walk off sharing the frame, no distractions, no, no one else to lure either them out of frame as Inez had earlier, but instead they walk off together, um, just continue to talk focused on each other. Um, and that was what I really noticed was the big thing about how this movie shot is those three different languages for each woman and how the camera moves to reflect the arcs of their romances. Mm. Okay. So just for people who weren't able to see it. So Kobe was, they were, so they were both talking to each other and Owen, from Owen Wilson's perspective, he had like a bunch of these lights in the background. He had the bridge. It was kind of a larger shot behind her. And then from Gabrielle's point of view, he was like kind of in the center. And then Kobe mentioned how he's like, yeah, right here. And all of the shot from Owen Wilson's perspective, all the lights in the background fade away. And it's just, it was, it, I was insane. I didn't think about that. And this leaves me, my mind, my doubting mind and my layman's mind says, is like, is what you're saying, do you think that is exactly, not exactly, but similar to what this director had in mind? Do you think that those were, is it intentional with directors? Because I don't think the 99% of us would notice that shot, to be honest with you. But do you think that that was in his mind or her mind as they filmed this movie? I think it was intentional. I mean, part of it is my interpretation. But I know that as a director, as a good director, you want to utilize every single part of the medium to tell your story. So you want to use what the characters mm. say. You want to use what the characters do. But more importantly, the old adage is show, don't tell. Um, mm. That's a line that I mentioned at the very beginning of that essay. And so I'm sure that the cinematographer, uh, Darius Kanji, he asked himself, how do I show someone falling in love? Well, I'll put the camera out here and then I'll move it so that it's just her. Um, because if you're in love, you're not going to be looking at anything else or anyone else. Um, now, whether each shot was as I interpreted it, I can't say, but I'm sure that that was ultimately Kanji and Woody Allen's decision was to use the camera as well because they are, they're, they're good at their jobs. Um, to convey love. And so whichever way they found that they were able to do that, uh, I'm sure that's, that's what they meant to do. Mm. Um, now, uh, who's to say, you know, for, for Adriana, if a tuft of Gil's hair getting in the frame was intentional or if that was just him moving, that's hard to say, but I interpreted it because you do notice a little bit more of him does get in frame and it's a significant amount. It's a noticeable amount. Mm. Um, but who's to say that that was the intention or they didn't want to move the camera for a new setup. Um, but either way, the interpretation is there that, you know, they begin to enter each other's lives and that's the way I interpreted it. Uh, th th there's an old joke though that goes like, you know, here's the sentence, the blue curtains were closed as he laid on his bed. You know, the, you're reading this book in English class and that's what it says. And your English teacher goes, Oh, the curtains are blue because the, the character was feeling depressed and moody and, and hopeless. Mm -hmm. And the author 
said, I, the curtains are blue because I like the color blue mm. and I needed an adjective. Yeah. Are, I, 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 it's, a, it's a joke, but I, would, I wouldn't say that you know, it's wrong to get meaning out of something that wasn't originally intentioned. Mm. Um, I think, honestly, that's, that's the point of art is for people to see different things uh, and to take away different things. Um, and so whether or not the author picked the curtains were blue because he liked blue or because he meant the character to feel something, that's how the teacher interpreted it. And the student can interpret it differently. And uh, that's the good thing about a story is you get to take away different things from it. As, as you have the idea to have a movie and say, say you're behind the reins, right? You're the one who's the director and is every shot, like every shot, the angle, the, the zoom, the lighting is every single shot like thought of like that. Or do you think some shots are just like, okay, we need to go to, I need to just transfer. So I'm going to zoom out a little bit and go, or is every single shot, like I'm going to do it from the left side. Cause I want to see this. Like is every single shot have intention or is it sometimes is it just like, oh, okay, I need to move or I need to do this or that. I'd say for most movies, it's shots are thought out. And then in between you just, you kind of move the camera to accomplish what needs to happen mm. um, so that you can get to the next great shot. Um, but there are movies where every frame is thought out is composed and is uh, used to tell the story. Um, but I think honestly it comes down to budget time and how much effort you want to put in. Uh, and so if I was behind the reins, I would think of the shots that I wanted to really get right. And then I would use the rest, uh, you know, as a first film, I would use the rest to move the story along so that the story can be told so that the product can be, uh, finished and so that the movie can be made instead of getting bogged down in the details at the beginning. Mm. Um, now, as you have more budget, as you have more uh, on your resume and, and you know, people are more willing to buy into to your vision, I think is when you can really take those liberties with every single frame. Um, but I think most movies it's, there's a couple shots that they really thought of. And then in between they, they just, get it done. Um, not all movies, not all directors, but I think a good amount are probably like that. I think because of that, it's what makes good cinematography and good directing so special in how, you know, David Fincher takes care to shoot every single conversation with intention and purpose. Whereas other directors may just say the characters talking to each other, you know, we need to just shoot one here, shoot the other here. But David Fincher being a brilliant director, he he's put, he positions the camera exactly where he wants it for every single shot, every single line of dialogue as characters move around a conversation. I want to talk about me. Uh, me and my brother were talking about this low budget. Um, it was an absolute masterpiece. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite. You know what I'm saying? Low budget masterpiece we were we were talking about it this morning and we were wondering how does a movie like of all indie movies i'm guessing that's what you would call napoleon dynamite as an indie movie what makes like napoleon dynamite or hot rod 
make it? Do you know, like, what would you say, in your opinion, makes those movies take off compared? Because I'm sure there are other indie movies out there that are funny, but it didn't seem like there were many indie movies that were almost just like gags that took off as well as Napoleon Dynamite and Hot Rod did. I think for those two, they knew what they wanted to be um, and weren't worried about much else. You know, Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, it was a comedy, but ultimately it's it's the director's just telling a, a story about this weird guy in Idaho or something. Yeah. So they knew what they wanted it to be, and then they just went and made it and didn't try to make it into something it wasn't. They didn't try to do too much or to make Napoleon go on this epic quest. You know, the, the biggest thing he does is be a, a campaign manager for Pedro yeah. and get a prom date. Yeah. Um <laughs> And so they knew what what they wanted it to be, and that they had the heart, they had the the humor, and they had the the goal to get it done. Um, and same with Hot Rod. Hot Rod's not trying to tell this super moving story about you know saving people. It, it's this dude that wants to get his dad a heart transplant <laughs> so he can beat him up again. I. They know what they want to be. They stick to it. Yeah. And in that way, they're successful. Where I think other movies, um, even from those same directors or those same actors, uh, where they kind of lose sight of what they wanted it to be, uh, those movies aren't as successful. And I'm curious because, like, you do these analyses on your YouTube. Do you, like, as you watch, I know you mentioned a little bit how there was one shot that you noticed it immediately, but do you watch these movies and does it, like, are you analyzing analyzing them in real time? Do you have the ability to almost step back from that, you know, like director mindset and just enjoy it, or do you kind of have to just accept, like, oh, okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be analyzing the light or the the zoom or the the deeper plot? Like, is that something you can separate yourself from, or as you watch the movies? I I think I can. I'm thankful for that. Um. Like I can watch movies and just not worry about if a little thing is wrong or uh, if there's a plot or a motivation as long as I'm escaping, um, as I talked about earlier. Yeah. That being said, like sometimes I'll be watching and I'll just notice something. And that that's not me actively looking for it, but something that I just pick up on. Um, sometimes that's a first watch. Sometimes that's a third watch. Like Midnight in Paris, I didn't notice how the camera moved until watching it a second or third time. And none of those times did I set out to find something for a video essay. It was just as I watched it, as I'd seen it a couple times, you notice smaller and smaller details. Um, and so thankfully, like I, I can turn that off. I'm, I'm honestly actively trying not to analyze a lot of movies so that I can <laughs> just enjoy them. Um, but occasionally there's something you pick up and – and it's something that that you run with. And then, uh, oh, I was going to say, oh yeah, I want to talk about Bad Movie Club just for a little bit. I don't know how many people know about this, but Kobe back in high school with us, he led a uh, he led an organization called Bad Movie Club where he would gather. Well, he he took it. There was a guy at our school who started it, and Kobe was like the only dude who was qualified. Like you knew that if anyone was going to take it over, Kobe was going to take it over. So Kobe took it over. And what they would do is every Friday they would watch stereotypically bad movies. What was what do you think would be the most 
if there was one movie that you had to pick from high school, that would have been like the summary for people to understand what Bad Movie Club, what do you think it would be? We watched Troll 2 a good number of times. I think, though, um, just the, the perfect bad movie would be the first one that I saw uh, at that club, which was Knowing with Nicolas Cage. Because um, <laughs> Troll 2, I feel, you know, at some point, they they knew, like, this is ridiculous. But Knowing, <laughs> knowing is everyone on set giving their best effort, and it just doesn't work. Oh, man. Um, and it's not a miserable time to watch yeah. it. Yeah. But it doesn't work, and you're having fun the whole time. And it, like knowing, it's just it's goofy and ridiculous, and uh, has Nicolas Cage. And there's it tries to be serious, but it just doesn't deliver. And so that's what makes it such a perfect bad movie. It's when it tries so hard and fails and gives you something to make fun of. Um, I th- I'd say that's the pinnacle one, probably. Just the first one that comes to my mind. And there were so many that honestly, you know, people try to go make a movie um, and it just didn't work out. And I, we, we didn't rag on like small indie producers yeah. and, and guys with a dream trying yeah. to make a movie, um, except for Birdemic. Uh, but it's just those movies where, you know, it's like, I don't know if there's any real heart behind this. But whatever they made, it's goofy and ridiculous and we can laugh at and have fun. And that's one of those things, too, where, where the movies created meaning. Mm. We weren't watching quality movies. We weren't escaping into someone else's new perspective. Yeah. We were just spending time with each other, laughing and, and eating snacks and sharing and having a good time. Do you have any any fear that you'll – like is that a fear in your head that you'll take a shot like that and you'll – put all this effort in and you'll look back and it'll be like, wow, I think I could honestly show this at bad movie club. Like, is that a, is that a fear in your mind? <laughs> that's, that's probably, you know, a reality. Um, I don't think it, it'd be a fear. Cause you know, if it, uh, if it's shown something like bad movie club, it's still bringing people together. Mm. I think the fear would be, uh, I, I have no fear about the quality of it or a movie's reception. Um, my fear would be just not making it in the first place because I'm too mm. worried about the reception. I admire that. That's um, a good word. Zipping the $5 Walmart bin, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's made. And if it's bad, I'll, I'll take the lessons from that one and move on to the next one and try to apply it. Um, just as long as it's out there. That's a good word, Kobe. I like that. Um, I know that we're kind of running out of time, but me and me and Zimla were saying we want to start asking people. With all this in mind, and this is kind of a de- like a, a different situation, but you have all this in your head, right? You were talking a little bit about it at the beginning, but what do you think? Because I mean, like the title says, we're in the middle of space, right? We're you make movies, you love movies, but at the end of the day, like you said, movies can't be it. What do you think is it? What do you think is the point? of us being on a rock in the middle of space. <laughs> um, loving on people and helping them out. Just doing good things, you know, showing people w- what it means to be kind. Um, and so, you know, movies aren't the ultimate end, but I think they're a great way that you can invite someone over mm. uh, that's going through a hard time and needs company. Um, I think they're a great way to, you know, just share 
a common message between two totally different people. Um, you know, whatever you believe in, you're still going to laugh crazy hard at airplane. Um, and I think, you know, just ultimately just being kind. Mm. And I think that as we're stuck in the middle of space, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, spending our time on this rock here together. Well, (laughs) um, just loving, (laughs) loving your neighbor as yourself and having a good time while you do it. If that's in in a movie theater, sharing some popcorn or, or just, you know, late night, I think that's, that's the way to do it. Well, Kobe, I'd say I really appreciated this conversation. I thought it was great. I mean, I loved getting to hear your perspective on movies and life and people and growth, but I hope you enjoyed it too. I hope that you have a good rest of your night. And I, I really did. Good. I feel like a hotshot director. So you you are, man. On. We'll look back on this once you've made your such. movie. We'll look back and we'll be like, that's where they came from. That's where that influence came from. That's where Bad Movie Club came from. All these different influences will come back and we'll look at them. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I hope you oh, yeah. had a good time too. All right. I'll see you Thank later, you my friend. Uh, big things coming soon and moving pictures. <laughs> we'll, we'll big things coming soon. Jobs. Yeah, check out his YouTube, guys. Don't don't uh, <laughs> don't hesitate to watch his videos. Um, they're good. I loved them. I watched them before I came, before I talked to Kobe again and It was great. I enjoyed them. But yeah. All right, Kobe. I'll see you on the other side.